Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last several weeks, we've been talking about the predominance of Jesus. I want to give a real quick review over what we've talked about this last few weeks before, uh, before I get into the, the message for today. I'll read this to you. At the very center of our faith is Jesus. He is the predominant subject. He is our doctrine, our theology. The prevailing witness of our salvation. The chief ambition of our lives. Jesus is the solid rock on which our lives are built. Not the expectation of heaven. Not the fear of hell. Not the church or even the Bible alone. Without Jesus, scriptures are incomplete, and the Father remains hidden in mystery. To be Christian is to place Jesus far and above everything. Above everything bad, and equally above everything that is good. Jesus is predominant, amen? The last few weeks we've been talking about this. The first week we started, we talked about our salvation, that Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. That before you said yes to Jesus, before even the cross, before even the fall, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. That he is the one who initiated our salvation. He is the means of our salvation. Jesus emptied himself, the Bible tells us. Love over rights, humility over pride, Self-sacrifice over self-preservation. Cruciform love. This is Jesus. That we, he is the means of our salvation. That he didn't empty himself of his divinity. Instead, he used the full weight of his divinity to rescue us. He emptied himself. He is the initiator, he is the means, and he is the purpose of our salvation. The goal of salvation was not just forgiveness of sins. The goal of salvation was union. The supreme goal, I should say, of the cross was to bring us back into fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That through the cross, we have been adopted once again as sons and daughters. We have been placed as mature sons and daughters back into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is the purpose of our salvation. We must shift our thinking about salvation from what we avoid to what Jesus has granted us access into. Salvation, or I should say this, the cross was not a rope thrown into a pit. The cross was a doorway for us to walk through to enter into the very life of God himself. The Father doesn't see us, I love this, the Father doesn't see us as Luther would have said, snow-covered dung. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Father doesn't see us as snow-covered dung. He doesn't see us as sinners that he, he hides the what's underneath, what, 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 what is inside of us. He, he doesn't hide what's underneath. Instead, he transfigures us. 
Instead, the Bible tells us that he sees us as beloved. That word beloved is the Greek word agapitas, which means the object of one's affection, one who is loved, the favored one, worthy of love. He doesn't hide our imperfections and pretend that it's not there so he can love us. No, he says, as you are right now, you are worthy of love because you are sons and daughters. You are beloved. We got to shift our focus of the cross and salvation from what he saved us from to what he has granted us access into. Not only this, Jesus is not only the initiator, means, and purpose of our salvation. Not only is he the prototype of which we are to become and maturing into, he is also the answer to the question, what is God like? He is the answer to the question, what is God like? From the beginning of time, since the fall, man has been asking the question, what is God like? And Jesus steps in and says, I am the answer. He is the express image of the Father, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is perfect theology. Without Jesus, the world still asks the question, what is God like? But in Jesus, the world has its answer. Jesus is what God is like, amen? So that's just a real quick recap of what we've been talking about these last few weeks. Today, I wanna talk about the word of God. And when I say the word of God, our minds immediately go to this, to scripture. But what I want to talk about you this morning is the word of God, which is not scripture. It is Jesus. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the light, or that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness of him who cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus is the word of God. After today, when you hear the phrase word of God, I want you to think of Jesus before you think of scriptures. Now let me clarify something right here at the beginning. Scripture is of immense and precious value. It is of immense and precious value. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the scripture is not a word of God or the word of God, okay? I believe from Genesis chapter one all the way to Revelation 22 is God breathed and inspired and is perfect, amen? But this book was never intended to be your salvation. Its intention is to point you to the one who brings you your salvation. It is the roadmap. Amen? While scripture is of immense and precious value, it is only a word of God that is intended to bring you to the point, to the point where you see the word of God, who as Brad Jersak, who is a theologian, says, when he was about 18 years old, he grew a beard. Jesus is the word of God. C.S. Lewis says, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will always bring us to him. Amen. There is a way in which we are to read scripture. Amen. The error is never in the word of God itself. The error is never in the scriptures. The scriptures are never in question. But the way in which we read scriptures absolutely is in question. There is a way in which to read scriptures. Let me show you what I mean in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. When you get there, give me a woot woot this morning. There we go. There's one. If you're reading on the screen, give me i I'm looking at the screen. All right, cool. You bunch of heathens not bringing your Bibles to church. I bring two Bibles to church. I'm just saying. <laughs> John chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus is speaking here to, uh, to a group of Pharisees, and he says this. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? If I bear witness, this is Jesus speaking. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent, you have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me and the Father who has sent me. 
and the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because, when, because whom he sent him you do not believe. Verse 39, this, this is, verse 39 is eye-opening. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. First thing I want you to notice in this scripture is that there are four interdependent witnesses pointing to Jesus. John the prophet, God the Father, the deeds and miracles of Jesus, and the Jewish scriptures. Jesus gives four witnesses of who he is in scripture. I think it's interesting that Jesus says that if he came and just bared witness to himself, he came and just said, I'm the son of God without all of these other witnesses. He says, you would have reason to question me. I came into the gym the other day uh, during the week and Micah was here playing basketball all by himself. And uh, when I came in, he was trying to make a half court shot. And when, uh, when he first came in, when I first came in and he I saw what he was doing, he said, dude, you just missed it. I just made one. I said, sure you did right? Sure you did. It's, it's very, it's, it's convenient that there's nobody else in the room to, to confirm whether or not you made it, right? Jesus is saying, listen, if I just came on the scene and said, listen, I'm the son of God, hear my words, you would have reason to question me. But he said, listen, there are others who testify and witness to me. John the Baptist has witnessed who I am. The father himself has declared who I am. And then he also goes and he says, the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures point, all of them point and testify and are a witness to who I am. The scriptures are a witness to who I am. But listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this in the scriptures, and really it's a disturbing thought. In verse 37 I'm sorry, uh, verse, I have it written wrong in here. No, it is ver verse 37. It says, the father himself who sent me has testified of me, but you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. He's talking to a group of Pharisees who study the Jewish scriptures religiously who memorize the text, who know it forward and backwards, who have spent their whole lives studying these documents, these scriptures. And Jesus is telling them, these men who have poured over the scriptures, he's saying, listen, you have not heard my father's voice at any time. What Jesus is saying here is that it is possible to spend an entire lifetime pouring over the scriptures and never once hearing the Father's voice. It is possible to give yourself to knowing the doctrine, to memorizing the text, 
but never actually encountering the person that the text is about. Never actually ending up and knowing the person that the text is doing its best to get you to. You have heard the Father's voice. You have not heard the Father's voice, nor seen him at any time. Just reading the Bible is not enough. The way in which you read the Bible is fundamental. It's necessary. It's vital. What is the way in which we should read the scriptures? Jesus tells us in verse 38, He's talking to the Pharisees and he says, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you did not believe. How do you read the scriptures? When you read the scriptures, when you go to the scriptures, you have to go with the lens of Jesus. You have to see the scriptures through the lens of of Jesus. The inspiration of Scripture is only real and relevant to us insofar as we fix our gaze on the one to whom it points. Jesus, in order to read Scriptures properly, we have to put the lens of Scriptures on. Let me, let me illustrate this to you in a story. There was an archaeologist who on one of his digs found this old ancient map. And he was super excited about the map, but he didn't know anything about it or what it was. So he took the map to one of his really good friends, the historian. And he presented the map to the historian and he asked him to, to look it over and tell him what he could about it. And the historian took the map and he studied it. He knew every he studied every detail about it. He was able to narrow down the origin of the map, kind of where it came from. He was able to put a date on the map of about what what time in history it would have been written. He was able to even narrow down two or three possibilities of who actually created the map. And he felt like he had kind of exhausted his resources, so he hands hands the the man, the archaeologist, back the map, and he tells him all that he found and and uh, all, that, all that he knew about the map. And the archaeologist was thrilled with the new information, but he still felt like something was lacking. So he thought, you know, I'm going to take this map to my, my friend, the, the chronologist, which is a really fancy way of saying code breaker, which is a way cooler way to say it anyways. So he takes his map to his friend, code, the code breaker, uh, which happens to be Nicolas Cage. And... Uh, he takes the map to, to old Nick Cage and he says, hey, can you, can you decipher this map? What can, what can you tell me? So the, the code breaker takes the map and he begins to analyze it and he begins to decode the, the mysterious language that it uses and, and he begins to figure out uh, uh, the, the, all of the hidden details and the, the hidden things in, within the map and pulls them all out. And, and, f and when he finally figures that, he, he's figured out the map and broken the code. He gives it back to his friend and gives him all of the information about the map and, and all of the details that he figured out. And he says, here, here's, the, here's the map. Here's everything you need to know. The archaeologist was thrilled with the information. He felt like between the history of the map and, and the, the code being broken in the map that he knew all that he needed to know about the map. And so, so he put it, the map in a glass case 
and he put it on his mantle because he was just so proud of the map. And he was so proud of the knowledge that he had about the map. Every time he had friends over to the house, he would take them up to his mantle and he would say, hey, check this map out that I found. And he'd begin telling them all of the details, all of the history, the origin, the, the, uh, the code, and all of the neat things hidden within the map. And uh, he did this for several years with every friend that came over. After a while, though, he started to feel maybe a little empty, like something was still kind of missing. And he also noticed that as he was telling his friends all of the details about it, he could see that they weren't nearly as excited about the map as he was. They were just kind of enduring, right? So finally he says, you know, there, there's got to be more to this map. And then the idea comes to his mind. He said, you know what? I have another friend. And this friend is, is an adventurer. He's an explorer. Maybe if I take the map to him, he'd be able to tell me something new about the map. So he takes the map down out of the glass case and he takes the map to his friend who is the explorer and shows the explorer the map. And the first thing the explorer says to him is, you're telling me that you've had this map in a glass case sitting on your mantle this whole time. What are you doing? Go pack a bag. We're going to find the treasure that the map leads us to. There's so many people who get to the book and stop. They know it inside and out, just like the Pharisees did. The book has brought doctrine. The book has brought, even shown moral good ways to live, the way we should live. The book has definitely produced plenty to argue about, right? But so many people stop right there. And the whole time the book is saying, listen, there's a treasure I'm trying to take you to. There is something that I'm trying to bring you to that is much greater than just the words on the page. And if you get stuck in just the words on the page and miss him, then you are missing what the book is trying to take you to. You're missing the word of God himself. I heard one theologian say this, and I think it's so true. God could not express himself fully in a book, but he could express himself fully in a person. Jesus didn't just give us a book to get us through life. He gave us a book to get us to the person who gives eternal life. Jesus is the treasure. The book, the scriptures are precious because they're the map. But the map is meant to just be a witness to take us to the person of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love what he says in John 17. In his last, the last recorded prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples, he says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is what 
the scriptures are all about. To approach scripture right and for it to have any effect on us, we must see it through the person of Jesus. I heard one preacher say it like this. When you study the word, you must first put on the word of God. St. Augustine says this axiom. He says, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. I love that. In the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. But I like the way Paul says it best. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, for even when... For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. Because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But here it is. Here's what I want you to see this morning. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Jesus. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is Paul saying here? What is Paul saying here? He's saying that there is a key to unlocking scriptures. And until you use the key, there is a veil over your understanding. You can only see blurry images. Things don't quite look right. But when you have the key, who is Jesus, the veil is removed and you realize it was pointing to him all along. Paul is saying that there is a veil over our eyes until Jesus comes and removes the veil. Therefore, Scripture must be read backwards, starting at Jesus, finding his beauty, his purity, his goodness, and his truth, and then finding him through the Scriptures. When this happens, the Bible tells us that there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When this happens, when we see Jesus in the scriptures, we realize that we are staring into a mirror and being transfigured into his very image and likeness. When we see Jesus in scriptures, there is liberty. When we see Jesus in scriptures, we begin to see the mirror and become transfigured into his image and likeness. I want to close this morning. Don't be fooled by that statement. That, that still means there's about 15 more minutes, but not really. I'm kidding. But I want to close this morning with, with this story from the Bible. 
in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, we see two men that are walking on the road, coming from Jerusalem and going to a city called Emmaus. As they're traveling on the road, they're talking amongst themselves. And suddenly this man comes up and interrupts them and he says, what are you guys talking about? You look like you're really sad, you're, you're really downcast. What, it, what is it that you're talking about? And one of the, man, one of the men says, he kind of laughs and he says, are you, are you the only one in all of Israel that doesn't know what has taken place these last couple of days? And then he begins to explain to, to this man that, the, that Jesus had come this man named Jesus had come and they thought he was the Messiah. And they had been following him for three years, watching him perform miracles, watching him teach the crowds, transforming hearts. Then he begins to tell them that there were some religious leaders that didn't, didn't like Jesus and so they had him crucified. And then they had him buried and Jesus had now been dead and buried for three days. And they were telling them, of their disappointment because they really thought this man was the Messiah. They really thought he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And then they say to top it all off, some women in our crowd, in our group, came to us this morning and said that they had seen Jesus, the risen Lord, and he said, but we haven't seen him. And that's why we're downcast. That's why we're sad talking on the road. And Jesus says this to him. He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then it says, and beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, in the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In this verse, in this story, we see what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians coming to life. That Jesus begins to explain all of the scriptures to them and showing them how all of the scriptures are pointing to him. And as he does so, the veil is slowly coming off of their eyes. And they begin, they're beginning to see what Moses and the prophets and all those before were talking about. They were talking about this man named Jesus. Then look what happens later on in the story. It says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open and they knew him. The man was Jesus. And it says, he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I love that verse. Did not our hearts burn within us as we communed with him? Did not our hearts burn within us as, as we walked with him on the road, on the journey to Emmaus? Did not our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us? 
when you read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, something different happens. When you read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, it becomes more than just a dry document. It becomes more than, than just something to study and know for a good moral life. When you read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, you don't just gain knowledge. You don't just gain direction for how to live. Those things happen, obviously. But when Jesus becomes your means of interpreting scripture, your heart begins to burn within you as you read it. When you begin reading scripture, through the lens of Jesus, this book comes alive. And suddenly, as you read the scripture through the lens of Jesus, suddenly scripture becomes more than a book. It becomes the tender with which the love of Jesus is ignited. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My challenge to you all here this morning, my call this morning is this. Read the scripture until your heart begins to burn. Read the scripture until your heart begins to burn. When you go to the scriptures and you study and you're reading and you're doing your devotions and you're being faithful to the scriptures, put on the lens of Jesus. Begin looking at every story, every verse, every comma, every period through the lens of Jesus. Search how, how is this scripture pointing me to him? Jesus said that all of the law and all the prophets, all of it are pointing to me. I wish that we would have gotten some commentary on the road to Emmaus, don't you? More than just he expounded on the scriptures. What did he expound on? What did he say? Don't you love, though, how the Father loves to give us mysteries to find? He loves to give us maybe a little bit here and a little bit there, and it, it draws us in. Till we are hungry to know more. So when you go to the scriptures, go there looking for the person of Jesus. Put on the word of God when you read the word of God. And read until your heart begins to burn. Amen. Let's stand together. Jesus, you are the predominant subject. Father, in every aspect of our life, every aspect of our walk with you, Jesus, you are the central figure. Hallelujah. Jesus, we magnify you this morning. 
Jesus, we put you above everything else. Everything that is bad, but equally above everything that is good. You are supreme above it all. Everything, every road leads us to you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. You are the door. You are eternal life. Father, I'm thankful for the scriptures. Hallelujah. Jesus, I love the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for a map. Thank you for a guide in this life. Thank you for your word that has been, that that you have breathed on this word, Jesus. But I, God, I, I thank you that the ending is not just in a book, but the ending is in a person. The book is leading us to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I pray that as we read scripture, as we read our Bibles, Father, God, that in every verse and every chapter that we would find the person of Jesus in it. God, that you would begin revealing yourself to us, Lord. God, that you'd begin giving us revelation of who you are through the text. That, Lord, that we would, we would, that we would come to the text and that it would be a mirror holding itself up. That we would begin to see our image in you, Jesus. Father, that we would find liberty in you, Jesus. Father, we honor you and we thank you once again for the scriptures and we thank you that you are the word of God. We just give you all the glory and praise today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.